So welcome podcast listeners to another thrilling episode of Blind Politics. Uh, I'm Dr. Nolte, and I'm here with about 30 of my closest friends. Uh, we are at Regent University. As you know, Blind Politics, for, for those listening at home, is a podcast put on by Regent University's Robertson School of Government. Views expressed do not represent those of the Robertson School uh, or of Regent University, but of myself and currently my closest friends. I am Dr. Nolte, and uh, please remember to rate and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast provider. Um, we are coming to you this evening. We're recording this as the Iowa caucus results are uh, about to start trickling in. They haven't started trickling in yet. And we're recording this at a live Hawkeye Cockeye watch party event uh, sponsored by the Robertson School of Government, by the College of Arts and Sciences Government Department, and also by, uh, was it Pi Sigma Alpha? Yes. Right, so Pi Sigma Alpha, which is the Political Science Honor Society. And so we're here with a number of students. Um, my co-host for this event is Dr. Nick Higgins. Nick, say hello. Good evening. Hello. All Thank right. you. Very good. Pad podcast world. That's right. And uh, I believe also the dean of the Robertson School of Government, Steve Perry, is here. Dean Perry. Oh! All right. Dean, <laughs> dean Perry uh, saying hello also to the, the podcast listeners. Uh, he is a gracious man and a powerful man for allowing me to do this podcast. Um, and so, um, and also we've got some, some Regent students. Regent, say hi to the people. Hi. All right. Uh, hopefully there are more of you listening at home than there are here um, at the event, and we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. So, um, Dr. Higgins, why don't you get us started with kind of a preview of what we're looking at tonight, what some of the initial polling has been, uh, and what everybody else is projecting. Yeah, so uh, the Iowa caucuses are always one of the most interesting aspects. It's the first in the nation presidential point where we can start figuring out uh, not just who's running or who's polling well, but who's actually got supporters on the ground. But Iowa's interesting for two reasons. Uh, first is the way that they do this. So this is nothing like we really are used to. For those of you who live outside Iowa, you probably don't really even know what a caucus is. You normally show up, you vote, you fill in the name, you go, and you, you leave. A caucus is a completely different event. It's a large public gathering of the community members who gather at a school, a church. Uh, I even saw one at a sports club area. They were putting people's names on hurdles. And you vote publicly. You actually declare your support by going into the corners of the room or into the pre-locations of the room. And in doing that, you can actually see who your friends are supporting. And of course, that starts to have a little bit of influence on, on who you support. So Iowa, what also makes it very interesting is they have what they call a viability threshold, which means if you do not have enough supporters in the room, then your candidate's out. You don't get to vote for your candidate. And you used to be able to realign. They would have times where you could go and join your second candidate or third candidate, and that would go on and on and on. This year, they've changed the rules slightly. There are only going to be two times of alignment. Your initial first level alignment, who you want. And then if your candidate is not viable, only those people can realign. So if your first candidate is viable, then you're locked in. Your vote cannot change. It used to be you could switch votes in the second or, or third realignment. So what this is, is kind of doing for the first time is making it where people have to come in and be pretty confident of who they're going to vote for. That being said, there has been a, a decent number of undecideds, and Iowa is very famous for this. So the pollings have been, uh, for the past few months, all over. It began about a month and a half ago. Two months ago, Pete Buttigieg was leading. Uh, Warren was coming up on him. Biden has been largely at the top for a while. 
But recently, Bernie Sanders has been getting a lot of momentum. Uh, and there was a big kerfuffle where the Des Moines, Iowa Register, the last major poll was supposed to be released yesterday, I believe. Yeah, I saw that. And uh, due to, I'm going to guess, polling errors, they're not really saying exactly what happened. But all we know is that at least one person who was called did not get listed. All the candidates did not get listed for their choices. And so they called foul and it made its way up. Um, although I did just see that uh, Twitterverse has apparently released the official poll, which had Biden in fourth. Um, but I'm holding I'm not sure that's confident. You know, this is where a lot of people can come up with some uh, rather uh, fake news. Uh, but so tonight, what we're going to really look for is whether, say, Bernie Sanders uh, momentum is going to carry him through, whether Biden, who's been polling highest nationally and has for a while been leading in Iowa, is actually going to win or whether there's going to be kind of someone like Pete Buttigieg or Elizabeth Warren. Um, I think you'll see people like Amy Klobuchar and Andrew Yang, uh, others who are still in it. They will have some supporters, but my guess is it would be unlikely they get any delegates at the end of the night because they're unlikely to make viability in most places. And if they do, they would probably not have viability enough to get one of the 41 delegates right. that Iowa offers. I think one thing that is really important to keep in mind about the Iowa caucus is that this is less something that's going to be determinative in terms of the delegate count uh, and more about the narrative. Because the Democratic primary kind of chunks up delegates for these early states, you could end up getting fourth and only be separated by a couple of delegates from the person who came in first. However, that perception, that momentum is going to be really important coming out of Iowa. And the kind of conventional wisdom is that there are three tickets out of Iowa. In other words, you have to come in first, second, or third in Iowa to be viable moving forward. Um, but I want to throw a little bit of cold water on that for a couple of reasons. First of all, Iowa is one, I would say demographically, one of the widest um, states in the union. And the Democratic primary is not going to be won by the person who gets the majority of white Democrats. Um, the Democratic primary, I would argue, pretty much runs through the African-American vote and particularly winning African-American female voters. So that's a, a high uh, impact voting group in primaries. And so Iowa's not going to really tell us where those folks are leaning. It can be an early bellwether of, of who's in and who's out. It can be something that puts you in trouble. It's not going to necessarily determine uh, the winner. I think one good thing to think about this is really Iowa is the cutoff of who should drop out. Right. Uh, I think that's really the best way to think about what comes out today. Um, and there are going to possibly be different candidates claiming to win because for the first time ever, Iowa is now going to re release the number of votes that oh people got. And so in years past, we don't actually know how many votes Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders got in the 2016 Iowa caucus. We only know the delegate split. But if you think of geographic winner-take-all elections like the Electoral College, someone can do really well in one district and then barely lose in all the others right. and come out with less overall delegate votes, but actually have more support. Right. And so we saw that obviously with Donald Trump winning uh, the Electoral College, but losing the popular vote. That may have happened in Iowa. We don't know. And so it's the first time ever we're actually going to get the raw vote numbers uh, to come out. So I wouldn't be surprised if more than one candidate claims victory. And even if you might have four candidates claiming those three spots. Right. right. And I think that as many people as can will try to claim victory coming out of Iowa. I will say that um, the other reason to be a little bit cautious about drawing too much 
um, of a lesson moving forward from Iowa. Iowa is a very high contact state. What I mean by that, and this is true of New Hampshire as well, is if you're talking about Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, these are states in which the voters have an expectation that they're going to meet and interact with the candidates, um, and in which really retail politics goes a lot further than it will in some of the states moving forward. When you start getting into states like South Carolina, Florida, uh, Nevada to a certain extent, although Nevada's weird, uh, the Super Tuesday states, there you're really going to be looking at ground game, which is going to be the local political machines and local actors that can pull people in, and air war. And so Iowa and New Hampshire, if your skill is retail politics, Iowa and New Hampshire is basically your last shot to sort of carve out a niche for yourself moving forward and say, I'm viable, I should have money, I should have support. So um, look also for a lot of democratic uh, power brokers that are unaligned will start making their decisions on who they're going to support moving forward based on what happens in Iowa and New Hampshire. So um, Nick, what I thought we might do next, and then we'll take some, some questions and comments from folks, and, and maybe we'll do some predictions, is okay. um, let's just go through some, some alternate scenarios of how tonight might go. Um, so I want to start I want to start from the most boring and go go to what I think is going to be the most interesting and by interesting I mean pure unadulterated chaos. Um, <laughs> so to me the most the most boring uh, scenario is if Biden wins because I think if Biden wins Iowa it's going to be really hard for anybody else to get the nomination. So I said not to overinterpret now I'm going to overinterpret. Um, and I wouldn't say that that it, it necessarily guarantees Biden is going to get the nomination. But, you know, I would look at some of the insurgents like Warren, Sanders, and so forth. And, um, you know, I remember 2004, Howard Dean was, everybody was predicted to be the guy who's going to win. He was mobilizing the grassroots. And then John Kerry won Iowa. And when Kerry won Iowa, pretty much the race was over. Um, so do you think Biden winning Iowa has that sort of effect on the Democratic primary? I, I think so. I mean, I think, again, New Hampshire, which will come up, will have a little bit of impact. But one right. of the things to think about why Biden is kind of viewed if he wins tonight and let's say he wins somewhat handily, right? Like, you know, right. by three to five percent of delegates. Now, that's not super handily, but that's it's enough. That, that's enough yeah. is I actually think there's a different strategy that the Democrat Party is currently debating about. They're all really talking about who could beat Donald Trump in, in 2020. And they want to figure out who's the most electable. And I think there's actually two theories of electability that are going out there. The first is the Biden idea, which is if you're the moderate, you can appeal to disaffected Republicans and those who are really uh, the suburban people who we saw maybe in the 2018 Democratic primary or Democratic elections that helped take back the House. Uh, but then you have the Bernie Sanders, which is, I think, following more the Trumpian model of they think electability is pulling in those third parties and the people who are not frequent voters, pulling out the people who are disaffected with current politics, hate the way things are done, but are kind of the opposite populist side that Donald Trump is. But it's really the Trumpian model. And so I think what we'll see in Iowa is a little bit of an answer to that question. But I agree, if Biden wins, then that means it's going to fall to the moderate they're going to try to kind of come to the middle, pull in the disaffected Republicans, and they're going to view that as their road to victory to 2020. Right. So the, to me, the next most interesting scenario is uh, sort of a narrow win by one of the people that we're less expecting. Uh, a Warren, a Klobuchar, a Buttigieg, sort of eking out a narrow win, but with with sort of Biden and Sanders and a couple other folks sort of bunched closely behind. And to me, 
I would say that doesn't say much about the race. That says maybe uh, one is a little bit stronger than the other. They're going to try to claim momentum for it um, for, for moving forward. But you know, a big bunch of folks at the top where somebody just happens to come out ahead by you know half a percentage point, I don't know that really tells us that much, although they're going to claim that it does. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the best that that does is that just tells us that it's going to continue to New Hampshire yeah. and you might have a few people that are, are trying to get the support. Right. Uh, so the next um, most chaotic, and by that I also mean interesting, uh, would be a straight-out Bernie Sanders uh, win. And I don't think that necessarily makes the race over, but if Bernie wins and wins convincingly, uh, then it's going to be a two-person race. It's going to be Bernie and whoever survives in the moderate lane. And um, I say that because I think if Biden performed very poorly and Bernie wins, there's going to be a rush to whichever candidate in the more moderate lane uh, is seen as somebody who can stop Sanders. Because I, I suspect the Democratic donor class, uh, the sort of elites and folks in the Democratic uh, primary, number one, don't want Bernie to be the number, uh, nominee. And number two, they saw what happened with the Republicans with Trump. They saw what scattering did. That's right. And so there's going to be a real push to consolidate behind whoever they think has the best shot of, of taking him down. So that that's what I would expect to see from a Bernie win tonight. Yeah, I agree. And, and you and I had spoken behind closed doors a little bit ago uh, that some of the early satellite races came out. And yeah. just before the official start, Amy Klobuchar is actually uh, having the most votes. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that came from Florida. And you and I speculated, you speculated primarily, that this might actually be because if you're an Iowa living in Florida for your second home, you're of a certain wealth class right. that you can uh, relax a little while. And these people are very unlikely to want to support Bernie Sanders. And so uh, I do think that whoever comes out of that middle lane is going to be kind of encouraged to follow behind one person, whether it's Biden, whether it's Buttigieg, whether it's Klobuchar, it's going to depend on how they do tonight um, and, and try to do that. Of course, the problem, and this is what happened in the Republicans in 2016, is that people don't get the message. Right. The donor class might decide to consolidate behind one person, but sometimes there are people for a variety of reasons that don't get the message. Right. And that could lead to uh, a protracted uh, race and perhaps even a brokered convention, which is, I, I don't mean to be rude, but that's my hope. I mean, that, that, as I think for any, any student of political scientist, you just want to see a brokered convention for somebody at some point, just because of the sheer unadulterated uh, chaos, the possible things that you could study from that. Absolutely. Know, the, the number of politics podcasts on blind politics that you could produce just talking <laughs> about a brokered convention. So would you say for, if you're Klobuchar, which is a better scenario for her? A narrow first place or... Sanders coming in first, but her coming out ahead of Biden? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think probably for her, it would be that latter one. It yeah. would be Sanders coming in first, but her coming up a, a second ahead of Biden. And I think that that would kind of cement her uh, as, the, as that moderate. Um, and again, you might have some of the disaffected Warren voters that are uh, maybe thinking of a female candidate right. that are willing to come to her as well. So, it, you know, she might be able to pull off some of those more progressive sides uh, easier than, say, Biden or Buttigieg. Right. Just because of the identity politics angle, which is a real thing in the Democratic primary. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, for, so for her, over, overperforming uh, Biden and Warren also would be a really good night, especially if Sanders wins. Of course, uh, in the moderate lane, 
It, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the one person who's not really competing tonight, but he is the 70 billion pound gorilla in the race, and that is, of course, Michael Bloomberg, um, who is fully capable of absolutely carpet nuking the airwaves uh, on Super Tuesday and trying to capture the moderate lane simply by virtue of spending his ridiculous gobs of money. Um, and so, you know, I think if you're Bloomberg, you're kind of hoping for a Sanders win and a muddle in the moderate middle, because then you can show, look, I'm, I can stop Bernie and I can beat Trump. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right, because as you said, uh, New Hampshire and Iowa are very much old school face to face politics. Come to the coffee shop. Come to my house. Right. Uh, Bloomberg, that's not his style. That's no. not who he is. Bloomberg is going to own the airwaves. He's going to own all, you know, he owns media. He's going to own the, the, the airwaves and all type of things going on. Apparently, he's paying for everyone to have sushi for dinner every <laughs> night on his staff. Like, he's, he's making life really good uh, for the people who can work for him. I, I, he had the Super Bowl ad yesterday. Yeah. And I saw that someone noted that uh, if he paid, I think it was like $7.5 million for a Super Bowl ad, that would be in response to most normal people about the same percentage of his wealth as it would take for us to order a piece of pizza. Yeah, that sounds right. So um, he, 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 he's just going to, yeah, I think carpet nuking is yeah, a good term. Yeah. Um, and so the, the last scenario that I want to talk about, and the one that I think is absolutely the most sheer unadulterated chaos, and I have no idea what happens if we get this. Um, and then after this, let's, let's open the floor and get comments and questions. But the scenario that I think would absolutely throw the race into total chaos would be a narrow Biden win with Sanders in very, very close second. And the reason I say that is because of what happened in 2016. Yeah. Because of that scenario that the Bernie folks are still talking about where all the coin flips went in Hillary's favor. Yep. If Bernie loses close again, it's going to be absolute sheer, unadulterated chaos moving forward. Yeah, I mean, there's already, they're laying groundwork for kind of the claims. That, I mean, Donald Trump just tweeted the other day that the, it seems the DNC is rigging it against Bernie again. And that's just putting the idea out there, I think, to try to shake up Bernie's supporters to be unwilling yeah. to accept the loss. I mean, I think it's a pure political move on his part. Um, but if you... You know, I, I have some Bernie supporters I follow on the Twitterverse, and, and I tell you what, they are a very vocal, loyal group, yes. and uh, I think they're yeah. very unlikely to accept a loss uh, very close. And we can come back to this maybe in the Q&A, but I think if Trump is, is thinking that Bernie is the person he wants to fa face, I, I actually don't think that is correct. I think there are a couple of candidates that would be better for Trump to face, and you know, Bernie, Bernie may be a little bit more dangerous to Trump maybe than he's giving credit for. Um, which is terrifying if you if you don't agree with Bernie's politics because he really believes what he's saying. Um, but you know, so th that's my my take is that maybe Bernie is um, one of the more dangerous potential general election opponents. Although I don't necessarily think he would he would win. Sure. Well, should we open up to Let's questions or yep. comments from the people? So, uh, anyone have anything they want to say, or who, who do we think is going to win? Like, let's just go by show of hands. How many of you are going to go with uh, Sanders as as the likely victory? So we've got one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight of you are going to go with Sanders. Bite, you think Biden's going to come out and win tonight? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, let's go with Buttigieg. Anyone think Buttigieg is going to come out and win tonight? Nope. No Buttigieg supporters. Okay. The, Pete, the Mayor Pete Balloon has uh, inflated and now deflated. And deflated. Okay, let's see here. Klobuchar, do we have any Amy supporters? We've got one, one Amy Klobuchar supporter. I won't comment that he's from Florida. Um, let's see here. Who else am I? Warren, Elizabeth Warren. Any Elizabeth, anyone think Elizabeth Warren's going to come out ahead tonight? No? Okay, so it's it, so at least the, the brief poll in here, it's yeah. uh, nine for Biden, eight for 
uh, Sanders, one Klobuchar. And so you guys are really rooting, leaning hard into the let's cause as much chaos as possible. Because, <laughs> you know, if it's that close. Let me, can I ask a question there yeah. to that? Sure. Because um, I think if you're the expected favorite yeah. uh, and you don't win, that's a problem. And if you're a total dark horse and you end up second, yes. that's a win. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... It depends where you are expected to fall yeah. in this particular caucus. Right. But I also will say, in two weeks after New Hampshire, no one will even remember what happened in Iowa. A absolutely. Uh, but the expectations are a Carolina, big deal. No yeah. one will remember either of the first two, and then we're off to the races. Then we're off to the races. I don't think, I think the only thing this does is give the dark horse candidate who shows well in Iowa, they suddenly are in the race, and they will get more votes in New Hampshire and South Carolina because of it. But and it can also tank somebody who is expected to win and then shows poorly. Yeah. So I would say if if you're thinking of Biden as the front runner, Biden not winning Iowa is not actually a huge surprise. Uh, and and the reason I say that is because Biden's never been going for that. Uh, bold, what I, what I would call sort of the bold progressive lane. You know, the people who are, are um, competing in the I'm more progressive than you Olympics. Biden's never going to win that, and he hasn't really leaned into it that hard. And um, white voters in the Democratic Party have moved left to a staggering degree, even compared to the rest of the Democratic Party. So white, uh, I would say Biden underperforming a super white state like Iowa isn't totally surprising. However, the degree to which he underperforms matters. So if you're Biden, yeah. you come in second or third, that's one thing. If you're Biden, you come in fourth. Then some of the narratives have been dogging him about maybe a, a more lackadaisical campaign. Maybe he doesn't have the fire in the belly. Uh, maybe he is sort of just, just trying to coast and he's not fully all there. Maybe that narrative starts to pick up and that's dangerous for Biden. I think for Sanders, you either want to win or you want to be in that really close second position so that you can either claim victory or claim that the system is rigged. Yeah, and I think I think for Sanders, the worst situation would be if he actually comes third or yeah. less. Yeah. Uh, because he's at this point being predicted by, by the polls to come in first or a close second. And I think this is exactly it. It goes expectations and reality. Uh, you can you can win in reality and lose yeah. in expectations, and that can actually harm your campaign. So and, can, I, and can we just bring up the candidate who in 1988 outperformed expectations and actually became a viable candidate? Can you remind us who that is? Let me just remind you that we are at Regent University. <laughs> uh, go to be the chancellor of right. University, Pat Robertson, who came in second in Iowa, That's if I recall correctly, after no one really had him on the radar. Yeah. That's correct. And he suddenly then was a candidate well into the primary season. And the Robertson campaign is, is exactly um, the, I would say, the, the blueprint for how success in Iowa can, can launch you and also how far success in Iowa can get you because that level of retail organization yeah. of, of you know, core constituencies, you know, that will get you into the playing field, um, but you still have to then compete with the establishment machine moving forward. So I'm going to just interject really quickly. So we've got behind us some information going on, and I just saw a quick percentage that about 32% of the of the polling going in have said this is the first caucus they have ever attended. Wow. And I think that's going to be really interesting because, as I mentioned, the question to figure out is what's going to be the level to electability. Is it kind of bringing yeah. in new people or is it getting the disaffected? Republicans. And 
I'm going to say that if it 32% of the people have never been to a caucus before, yeah. they're more likely to be Sanders, Sanders supporters, I think, than to be anyone else's, or at least percentage-wise. Right. I'm sure there'll be some of everybody. Well, so. I would say Sanders, and the other guy that, that we haven't talked much about, because he's probably not going to do very well, but could could sneakily surprise us, Yang. Um, he's, he, I think most of his supporters are probably diseng- people who are politically disengaged, so it could be a little bit of a bump for him. I think most of these people coming in, though, are probably Sanderistas. Yeah, I think they're mostly Sanderistas too. And though I, you know, I think Yang is is interesting, and he's got he's got a lot of, of support. I think his support's gonna be a lot harder in Iowa because I was a closed yeah. caucus, yeah. So you had to be a pre-registered Democrat to be there. And I think Yang has a lot more independent poll, right? Um, I mean, he has Democrat support, but I think there's a lot more independent poll as well. So in open primaries, you might see him if he. Yeah. is still around. He's got to uh, be putting his chips. Better. He's got to be putting his chips on New Hampshire. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any other comments or questions? Yeah. Uh, just regarding Iowa, and I understand the purpose of front loading, uh, say, but I was wondering exactly, I mean, Biden's been absolutely killed in the polls across the country, pretty much in uh, California, Texas, I mean, yeah. New York. So, I mean, it, I know front loading is a very, very crucial aspect of Democratic uh, primaries, but at this point, I mean, it, does that really do anything? Does that really do anything? I mean, could we see something? I know you're supposed to win Ohio to be pretty much almost the president essentially, but could this be the one outlier essentially do you think uh, where you where somebody doesn't necessarily win Iowa or somebody wins Iowa but doesn't necessarily win the nomination? Well you can lose Iowa and win the nomination. Uh, that that has happened. Um, but I, I think the thing is is it goes again to expectations and reality. Right. Um, if you if you lose Iowa very badly, then all of the support you have in California and Florida and others that Biden has, you know, if he comes in fourth uh, which the latest poll apparently has them at, then all that support's going to fade. Because I think a big reason people are supporting Biden is because they think he's the most likely to, to beat Trump. And this is really, if you think about it, it's it's uh, it's a game theory issue of everyone's trying to figure out who everyone else supports so we can all join to get around them. And this is kind of uh, the, the big problem of how do you get everyone else to do this thing you want them to do without showing your cards first? And, and how can you follow what the crowd does? Um, and so this is this is a, a major question be, before the people, and a lot of people are at this point aren't committed wholeheartedly, right. right? They're 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 committed in their preferences, but that preference can easily change. So uh, I, I think to answer your question, um, Biden's polling in other states might help him slightly in Iowa, but I don't think it really is going to be predictive of of his success here. I think to be clear, Biden is still a front runner, uh, and Biden is still a front runner. Unless he comes in fourth tonight, I would say, um, because I think he still has the clearest path to nomination. You know, do reasonably well in Iowa, New Hampshire, win South Carolina, um, and then consolidate that that lane of the establishment. Consolidate the support of African American voters. Consolidate the support of what blue collar white Democrats are left, um, and you know, kind of you know, win win your way to the nomination that way. So I still think he's the front runner unless he does really badly tonight. If he comes in fourth, and if somebody like Klobuchar uh, is ahead of him. Then we've got a situation in which his control of that moderate lane is up for grabs. Uh, and that I think makes it a whole new ball game. And we could, and you know, the one way that you can win if you don't play in Iowa is I would say the Bloomberg route of being in a lane and having the person who's in, who's kind of seen as the front runner in that lane really seriously stumble. Um, and you know, we've never seen, America's never seen a candidate as wealthy as Mike Bloomberg. Uh, Mike Bloomberg, I think, the estimate is he has got something like $77 billion. 
Um, you know, people are arguing about whether Trump has you know five or or, um, or more um, billion dollars. So the the degree to which Bloomberg can essentially staff just throw ridiculous amounts of money that's never something we've seen before. Going back to um, what we said about you know a candidate doesn't necessarily have to be number one to win Iowa in a sense. Um, you know, I was the one that rose my hand for Klobuchar. Um, I think she's already won. Honestly, she came in. Her polls were abysmal. I don't. I think most polls had her not even getting any delegates tonight. Do you think that this could be, yeah, as you said, you know, this could make Biden sweat a little bit and make the moderate race up for grabs? So let me take this one. Um, I think two things about Klobuchar. Number one, I think she's the absolute worst matchup for Trump. Um, she's she's female. She's but she's female in a in a way that I think um, she's the type of sort of calm, um, you know, very very rational, very even keeled delivery, but pointed. Um, Trump has not done well against women like that in debates before. I mean, the person who gave him the most trouble, from what I saw in the 2016 debates, was Carly Fiorina, uh, and and Klobuchar could call off that Fiorina shtick in the ways that you know, like Elizabeth Warren, not a chance. Um, but I think the trouble for her is that uh, question of resources, and so she's got to finish well enough that, and Biden has to finish poorly enough that donors look at her, give her a second uh, glance, and say, okay. This really is someone who is viable from that electability perspective, and this is our best chance to beat Trump. Amy Klobuchar is like, if you were going to create a candidate from central casting who says, I want to win middle-class suburban housewives across the country, right? Amy Kay is pretty close to that candidate. So if the Democrats are really going to double down on the 2018 strategy of let's uh, try to win those suburban voters that were key to our majority that we have been basically ignoring for the past two years because we put people who didn't win in those districts front and center, uh, Amy Klobuchar is their candidate. So I think for her, expectation setting is going to be really important, but particularly expectation setting with people who can get her the resources, because that's what she's been lacking thus far. So we are currently watching caucuses in West Des Moines on C-SPAN. Dr. Higgins is just explaining to those who, those of us are he, who are here some of the dynamics of that. And we're waiting to see if any results come in. All right, so that's, that must be the Klobuchar side right there. And so normally each campaign will have like one. Oh, hang on. Sign one of your preference card. Oh yeah. We do a realignment. Okay, so they're so they're still doing their thing. So this is actually something really new. The Democrat Party got really mad about in previous caucuses that they're doing for the first time in the 2020, which is actually there's going to be a paper trail. In previous caucuses, it was the caucus leader that put the results in, and no one could double check to see if they counted correctly. And so, of course, if you were a caucus leader at a local precinct, you know, a lot of power. it is a lot of power. So there, there have been some significant changes in the Democratic caucus. Well, not significant, but some, some, some changes in the Democratic caucus between 2016 and 2020. The first is this preference card. So everyone's filling out their preference card, and then they're going to do the realignment. So let's see if we can watch the realignment go. We all can talk. They're going to, you know, it's going to take a minute or two, but. So 
where, wherever this is, this has got you know the, the precinct behind yeah. us in West Des Moines. That looks like there is about 150 people there, maybe more. So it's a pretty big precinct. Um, so, so yeah, so let's see what happens. Yeah, so thinking about this for <clears throat> the podcast, which we're, we're back on, by the way. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that we we're kind of talking about in the break was um, based on some of the early polling that we're seeing right now, it looks as though that scenario where Biden comes in first and, and Sanders comes in second is, is possible. But then other people are saying uh, Buttigieg could potentially win. That's something that we talked a little bit less about. So what are some of the implications if, if we get a Mayor Pete victory here? Yeah, I think I think a Mayor Pete victory is going to just kind of be a wash, yeah. honestly. Um I think it will help him survive uh, a few more days right. and, and probably prolong this out to uh, Super Tuesday, South Carolina Super Tuesday to yeah. make things there. But it really is going to be a question of whether people are going to break away from Biden's support. Therapy. Yeah. And unless Biden has some major flub or something somewhere, then I don't think that's going to happen. And so, Yeah, I, I agree. Mayor Pete's African-American outreach has been somewhere between terrible and non-existent. And that that's going to make it really hard, I think, to win in South Carolina. And, you know, honestly, if, if you listen to Mayor Pete, I, I actually think he's a highly intelligent yeah. man. Yeah. I think he's, you know, he's a veteran. He's, he's an admirable candidate for an election. I think, however, that he is a bit wooden. Yeah. And while he has good rhetoric and the ability to speak, and again, I think he's very intelligent, I don't think he comes across as personably. And I, in a weird way, and this sounds perhaps wrong, I'm just not sure this is his year. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he might make a formidable candidate in a few years out. Um, but right now, uh, I just, I'm just not seeing it for a variety of reasons. And I think sometimes his intelligence might turn off uh, a lot of voters that he's going to need in the rural areas and even yeah. the suburbs. Well, and that, that's kind of how I feel about Yang, who I think is an interesting guy talking about interesting things, some of which are crazy and some of which are not. Um, yeah. I think this is not really his year, but I think we're going to see more Yang-like candidates moving forward who are talking about really these these issues that no one else is addressing, and particularly some of the, the technology-focused Yeah, and, and you know, that's one thing to actually recognize. You know, why do people run as independents are even potentially losing yeah. candidates. And it's without a doubt that they can influence policy. And so I think sometimes the strong policy candidates make an impact and eventually those become part of the platform of the parties. So what do you think the likelihood is that Yang pulls a Perot? Um, you know, mm. Ro Ross Perot, who was in the, the Republican primary and, and then kind of dropped out and ran as an independent. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't know. I, I you know I haven't talked to Yang supporters very often. I know right. only a couple of them. Yeah. They again seem pretty loyal to him, um, but I, I don't know if he has the money to fund it. I mean, yeah. Pro, though he's not Bloomberg, had the money to fund it. If there's going to be someone who pulls a pro, I actually think Bloomberg, Bloomberg would be more likely to do it. Yeah, well, that it seems to me like, particularly if it's if it's Sanders, um, yes, it's Trump versus Sanders, Sanders yeah. right? Somebody's got to get in. The problem with Bloomberg is I don't see where he has enough voters. He's so far to the left on social issues. He just he. You know, he's just going to pull from Democrats. He's not going to pull. I don't think anybody who is yeah. inclined toward Trump 
you would almost need somebody who is more economically either in the the, the Bernie lane or, or in Yang sort of yeah. uh, cautious about big tech, but was more socially moderate. But I don't see where that person's getting the money. Yeah, I have to say Yang would really, I think, be the only one who could pull it. I mean, from you know, a profile, Yang's freedom dividend right. is actually a libertarian idea. It is by Hayek. It is. So and he has the potential to pull in some of those economic conservatives right. on his side. And I think he could he could sort of if he could get beyond beyond the the points of his platform that are basically un you know unregurgitated undigested um, Planned Parenthood talking points and you know stake out some middle ground on some of the social issues. I think he could really get somewhere as a moderate, but you know independent. But the problem is again that's not where the donors are. So we're, right. so the challenge for your thinking about third party is where the donors are versus where the voters are right. for something like that. They're in the opposite places. Now, especially if Sanders is the nominee right. because he will pull in a lot of those low-level individual donors that someone like Yang or an independent yeah. really need. And getting back to what I said earlier, um, and then we'll, we'll take a break again because we're getting a good uh, background noise, but you know, for me, looking at Sanders, I think he actually, other than Biden, has one of the better chances to snipe those 80,000 voters in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania than some of the other Democrats. You know, I think Warren's a terrible sell, for example. Yeah, in those Warren's going to be a hard sell. I, you know, I, here's the problem with Sanders being a sell is he, he might have some level, but the economic, so here's the issue, right? Obviously, the economy is doing well in the stock market and other things, but right. there's still a lot of people in the manufacturing realm. Yeah that are still struggling because of tariffs, uh, because a lot of the jobs that are happening are jobs that are not, uh, they are things like nursing and service-oriented yeah. things that a lot of people who've been in manufacturing are either not willing to take or they're low, lower pay, and so they don't want to take it. And so I think part of the problem is while the economy is booming, booming it's really, it, it's not booming as well at the lower-level blue-collar jobs. Right as it might need to be to be successful. But I'm not sure Bernie's going to be able to pull those types of people because, I hate to say it, they're blue-blooded Americans that still that went for Ronald Reagan in the 80s, yeah. and they hate socialism. That's and a good point. That, and that terminology, whether it's wholly accurate or not, are really going to dissuade them from wanting to go to, to Sanders. Well, and Bernie causes a... An interesting dynamic for some of the the soft Democrats in places like Oakland County, Michigan. You know, yeah. the, the five counties around Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. <laughs> Do they hate Trump more than Bernie's economic right. policies scare scare them? Because Bernie's economic economic policies are a gun pointed directly at that category of Democratic yeah. voters. So, absolutely, yeah. And think about people around New York City. And yeah, absolutely, that right, area. right. So. Um, Let's take a break, and when we come back, hopefully we'll have some results. Buttigieg is going to get 25% of the vote. Warren, 20%. These are early poll predictions. Biden, 18. What? And Sanders, 16. No, no way. That's... That's that's what CNN's that's early poll. That, yeah, it's early polling. This is not any official results. I, that just seems, uh, that seems so I just like, saw a CNN one on my news app though. That was Elizabeth Warren was behind. Yeah, so Warren Warren might pull out a second you had in this. So Buttigieg is first, and then Warren as a second. I mean, Warren, I mean, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if Buttigieg won. Yeah, it'll. You know that that will be that will be interesting. And he has been playing the Iowa ground game very. 
very well. Yeah. And, and you know, and that's he's from one, close by too. And that's one of the things that we actually didn't mention that's probably worth mentioning. Uh, Iowa Democrats are a lot more religious than any other state's Democratic population. Yeah. And if you actually look at their, their uh, Paul DeJoupe at uh, Denison and uh, Ryan Barrage at Eastern Illinois just posted something. There's a great blog called the Religion and Politics blog. And they just did a quick analysis of uh, the religious makeup of Iowa. And it's fairly consistent with the United States as a whole. Um, but I think Iowa tends to be a bit more religious central. And Buttigieg has been pulling in that democratic religious mindset. I mean, a lot more than the other candidates. Yeah. He has made faith a yes. central part to it. So we see the results behind us and they're blocking it out. Bernie has 92 and uh, Biden 42, Pete 53. But so this is this is some I think this is the first numbers in a in a caucus in West Des Moines that's okay. on C-SPAN. So they haven't realigned yet. I, I don't think they've done the, the second realignment yet. It looks like they're trying. So this looks like Amy's Amy Klobuchar's group that are trying to do it, and there it looks like they're doing accounts. So. Uh, Okay, yep, hang on. There's some count going on. Wow, this is literally just like... That's what they're doing? Yeah, yeah, that's what they're doing. They're trying to count to see whether they have viability right now. And so this is Amy Klobuchar's... Viability is a percentage or a number of votes? So it's a percentage, percentage. of the people at that at the caucus. caucus. So, so that's the thing, is if you think about it, if you have... A caucus where only a few people of your like score show up. Turn out for the, yeah, yeah, then yeah. then you may not have viability. So it's fifteen percent of how many people are in at the caucus to the caucus site, uh, and they need to announce what that percentage is. So it looks like Klobuchar so got, viability. got viability. So she's there's rejoicing. So Amy's going to get something in, in this <clears throat> district. Well, you notice that there's scatter between uh, Biden, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, that probably means Sanders is going to win the caucus because I don't know if there are enough moderates to realign. Yeah, and that, 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 you know, that was one of the things is to think that Biden would have to succeed. There was a thought that the moderates would not always be viable. That, right. You know, Amy would basically not be uh, viable at many places and Buttigieg at some but not others and the thought that they would largely align with Biden. But uh, if they're all viable, then that really is going to make it where the progressives have less viability, right. which is going to make the second choice to Sanders a lot easier. That's very interesting. And so now we're starting to think about questions of, you know, some of these lower level candidates, some of the Yangs or, you know, possibly even um, in some precincts, Warren. Where are their supporters going to realign? You know, so for Warren supporters, it's interesting. Say Warren doesn't meet the viability threshold. Do her supporters prefer the economics of Bernie or the uh, sort of you know female identity politics of Klobuchar? Yeah. I think that'll be really interesting to watch throughout. And, and I think it'll just depend on the voter. I saw yeah. a couple of I saw a couple of uh, interviews uh, earlier today, or listened to a few on the radio. And I, you know, there was one lady who was a Warren supporter and said, "I'm always going to take a woman who's a good candidate over a man who's a good candidate." So, yeah. you know, she might be one that would go to Amy or vice versa. Right. Somebody who's really into Warren because they like her Medicare for All support or, you know, her student loan right. forgiveness plan might might be more inclined to go to Bernie. That's right. That's right. All right. We'll pause the uh, podcast again until we get some more developments. Anecdote, we are currently watching a caucus where someone is either completely misinformed about the process or lying and saying that minor candidates do not need to switch. Uh, supporters of minor candidates don't need to switch when they do. Uh, and so, you know, I think both 
for Nick and I are inner political scientists are just kind of chuckling at this, you know, imagining ever since the the Athenian origins of Western democracy, you know, people people kind of playing these games at in events like this. It's been a in a caucus coming in. And so you said the results are being reported up the chain by an app? Yeah. It yeah, was yeah. developed so about each, a month ago. So each caucus uh, precinct leader has an app. Supposedly, I mean, I, I haven't followed it in great detail, but I saw a lot of cybersecurity concerns so, on it. So when Putin hacks the Iowa caucuses, who do you think his preferred candidate is? Uh, Bernie. Bernie. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, here we go. Here are all the cards. So they're right. collecting cards. So that, so that looks to be the second choice ballot. To the precinct okay. chair. No. More. Oh, we just. Okay. Now they have to math. And remember, politics people don't math well. Not at all. <laughs> Ever since the inestimable Gerald Ford. <laughs> so this is a fascinating and chaotic process. It's so much fun. This is you know, I would one day love to move to Iowa just to participate yeah. in something like this. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, the precinct leader has a Biden because he gets to vote, but it's technically against the law for any precinct worker in a normal election to have their preferred candidate. Actually, voters can't walk in with signs on. Because he's also a voter. In the he's also a voter. Yeah. The caucuses are different than, than typical voting, so yeah, by the caucus rules, they're allowed to do it. Well, no, so like I said, so you have to tell everybody when and where to show up. Yeah, because you're getting delegates not to the national convention, but to yeah. the state convention. So first you have to, so you're going to be a delegate for your county or your city, and then you've got to make sure you can go to the meetings for your city to go to the state convention, to then possibly be ones to go to the national convention, which is just a mass political party. Um, pretty much. He's like, first one I can So earlier I'd given a CNN entrance poll. Uh, that was only for college students. Oh, okay. The one has Sanders Buttigieg Biden Warren. So that would make sense. Yeah. So Sanders was in fourth with college students. Yeah. Wow. That's really surprising. That's astonishing. Thank you. So, Steyer. Okay, so. Oh, that's my. 9.45 as we resume recording. And uh, currently we're waiting for results. Party officials are announcing they're going to release results at the top of the hour. So, um, things are, are pretty slow. 
we were expecting results about 45 minutes ago. Um, the rumor is that they've been having issues with their app. You probably, by the time you're listening to this, know more about that than we do. So um, we will resume in a few minutes when we hopefully get some results. But uh, as always, I was having some wonkiness uh, here at the beginning of the primary. At 10 after. And uh, no results have come in, so Watch Party is calling it quits. Um, but I will be posting, hopefully, a, uh, a quick endpoint to this with some reactions as soon as the uh, post comes out. And so hopefully we can attach that then uh, to the end of this podcast. So, um, yeah, hopefully this will be coming out the day after. Um, you may... Or may not, depending on Iowa, know the results as you're listening to this. But this is just kind of a flavor of some political analysis, uh, some of the caucuses that we've we've seen. And um, if all goes well and technology works, then I will be posting, uh, in addition, uh, my reactions once the results come in tonight. So, otherwise, um, thanks for listening. Remember to rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. And later this week, we're going to have a podcast coming out on the Trump peace plan uh, in Israel and what that means. So uh, hopefully this is actually not the end of the podcast. You'll hear a little bit later. But just in case we can't make the tech stuff work, uh, this is Dr. Nolte for Blind Politics, hopefully temporarily signing off.